Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Jeff Rothschild for another episode, but this time, we're shifting our attention to exercise recovery. As a quick refresher, Jeff is a registered dietitian and is currently finishing up his doctoral work in New Zealand where his research focuses on pre-exercise nutrition and training adaptations. Today, Jeff discusses his research into predicting recovery. For one of his dissertation papers, Jeff analyzed over 4,000 days of training data. This included well-being data, diet, sleep, HRV, and training load, and what he found is useful for anyone that exercises. So you don't have to be an Ironman to put this information into practice. I highly recommend that you give Jeff a follow on Twitter and check out his website, eatsleep.fit. Jeff is a trusted resource and he does amazing work. All right, now for my conversation with Jeff. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Jeff, there's a lot of wearables out there right now that talk about readiness. People are talking about recovery. There's so much data that we can look at to assess where we could be from a recovery standpoint. What are things that you found to be predictive of recovery and maybe data that we should be focusing our attention on? You know, one of my PhD studies looked at this and just even before we jump into the specifics, I think it's important to, to note that in my case, I was looking at how accurately can we predict recovery? That is distinct. It's easy to confuse with it. It's distinct from what are the things that kind of cause better recovery or not? Well, let's so start we with kind of, predict and then hmm. cause. Basically, how you felt yesterday is really important for how you feel today, which, you know, in some ways that's obvious, but not necessarily. That's one of the most important predictors. How sore you are when you wake up, muscle soreness. And again, this is kind of an obvious thing, but like I take that as to say, well, if you're doing exercise that can leave you sore, it might be worth considering recovery techniques to kind of improve that, whether it's I'm not up on what is really the best things, if it's foam rolling or people have mixed feelings about the um, compression gear and things. But nevertheless, soreness plays a major role in how you perceive how how good you feel today. Mm -hmm. And sleep quality and or something called sleep index. So that sleep index would be considered like quality times duration and stress, life stress. So those things all have major roles, like the biggest roles in predicting how well you feel, call it today. And way more so than how much training you did, did yesterday or this whole week or how much carbohydrate you've had, you know, yesterday or this whole week. It's, it's those things. And, and so one hand, while I say it, it's, it sounds like, duh, no, no kidding. Also, sometimes people probably put a lot of their eggs in like, OK, I need to make sure I'm having enough carbohydrate, which can be important. But the soreness, the sleep and, and stress are probably considered obvious but under underappreciated on a day-to-day basis now your studies you were looking at what you were tracking over 12 weeks 55 endurance athletes you yeah. use machine learning and all this kind of stuff to predict these things was there a hierarchy of this one was the strongest predictor yeah. versus this yeah. one or was it a combination no that's right so so basically just briefly what I, what I did was i had people that were already tracking their diet so i had people track diet sleep HRV training and some subjective measures every day for 12 weeks. So I had about 4,000 something days of tracking. Yeah. And then I wanted to see how, how could we predict recovery and, and fairly well, not perfectly. And some people can get it very close and, and some people not, not so much, but yeah, the really the, those biggest ones were how you felt yesterday morning, your soreness, your sleep and, and your stress. Then I tried to look at, well, d- does carbohydrate impact recovery even when adjusting for your training load and, and those, so the muscle soreness and sleep and those other things. And on the whole, it, it didn't really have much of an effect once you've accounted for again training load and, and these things but in some people it, it was important to get you know the more carbohydrate the better you felt and actually in some people it was, it even had a negative relationship so overall it was unclear but it was actually very there was really individual differences 
that are, you could say that's always the case, but that there were very not normal individual differences and that they were very kind of extreme. Some people really were on one end, some people were really on another end, and some people were kind of didn't matter too much. This is super interesting because talk about confounding variables, the things that you can't control for, right? And when you look at subjective versus objective measures of wellness, the literature is pretty clear that like your perception of wellness is a little bit more sensitive than objective training load, right? Yeah. So to me, it's like... If you're really paying attention to how somebody feels, you could give them the same training input, right? The same 45 minute workout with X amount of aerobic work, but they could have a really big stress load from work. They could have had something that happened at their home with their family. And those things are going to be sucking adaptive reserves. And so if you can be watching how they're feeling, you can almost like get ahead of Okay, now here's the manipulation we need to make to training and then we can push them in another direction. And I think that the way you feel is such an underutilized tool because people will be like, oh, you can't trust your emotions or how you feel. Well, yes, you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And we used a 100 point scale perceived recovery status scale for for the mornings. And and that's the importance also, I think, of considering internal training load. So we can think about training load as this kind of broad measure. And then it's usually divided internally and externally. So external training load would be like how many miles you ran or watts and things like that that are kind of external to the athlete. Then internal training load is these different measures that you think about like heart rate or lactate. But a lot of times people will use this session rating of perceived exertion. So this, how it felt to you. And there's different scales. It's important to use one of a few, the good ones, the validated ones. A common thing I've seen in, in some kind of different training platforms is these 10 point scales that are kind of stuck on the numbers. That's not, those are just not that accurate. But when you use a hundred point scale, you can really kind of get uh, more resolution into how someone's feeling. And so if someone runs 10 miles today and they feel at a, a seven, seven, 70 out of hundred or seven out of 10, and then another athlete, it might be a, a three out of 10 for them. That's a a good way to kind of zone in on differences or so either within the same person on different days or across different athletes. Like you said, you give the same load and two athletes are going to feel totally different. That internal load measure is a way to kind of get a reading on that distinct from like the actual workout itself. So if you were just a recreational person exercising six to seven hours a week, what are the things that you would be paying attention to to make sure that you're not overdoing it sometimes or when to kind of go, hey, the window may be opening for me to go get after it today? Some people enjoy HRV, different heart rate measures, resting heart rate. Oh, that, that's another one I didn't mention. But um, so another thing I looked at was, was predicting heart rate variability changes. There's such a strong relationship between the change in resting heart rate and your change in HRV that yeah. if someone doesn't want to do that, looking at resting heart rate, like the people have done for years and years now, that can be a useful measure that I think is a lot of people still look at, but it's, I don't know if that's as appreciated as it, as it could be. The change in resting heart rate, I, I think is, is an important thing because that's going to model changes or, or go along with, I should say, changes in uh, HRV. And, and your general readiness. Perfect. This is awesome. Thank you so much for like clearing this out. I think there's there's not many people I know that have looked at this much data and looked at the relationship between things. And I just love how you kind of cut through the noise and kind of deliver it as it is. Highly recommend for people to follow you on Twitter. You're always putting out great stuff. I really appreciate you joining me today, my man. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you learned something new today about using your training data to improve your recovery, do me a favor and leave us a comment and review on whichever listening platform you were listening from, as this is one of the best ways that you can help support the show. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.